Hello, and welcome back. Hit Factory here. I'm Aaron. I'm Carly. <laughs> I'm not, I'm just, I'm not good. I'm not, I'm not good at it. You're okay. No. You're doing a great job. It's <laughs> something about the dismount, just like always. It's, I think it's the ramp up. I think it's always just like the hanging and like the waiting yeah. period where it's like, you know, I'm coming in, you know, I'm kind of like, so it's like when a friend in class, like it's a, it's a moment when you're supposed to be serious and like things are quiet and you're like taking a test and then your friend across like from you in the room, like at a desk just makes like a pursed lip knowing kind of glance at you like a, <laughs> right. Like just looks at you <laughs> and yeah. then you can't stop laughing and yeah. it's over. Like you just burst out and you embarrass yourself in front of the class. That's, that's what I assume those like 10 seconds are between when I hit record and say, hello, I'm Aaron. No. When you have to come in. What it, what it is, is like the nightmare of all the times I've already laughed trying to introduce <laughs> myself. <laughs> Okay. And I'm just like thinking about that. Like the stream of like eternity that you've spent like <laughs> laughing every time you try to come in or just like the, the three takes that we don't use beforehand. No, just like every episode that I've done that on, which is like a lot of them. It's a lot of them. And <laughs> so like then I'm thinking about that and then you get to me and we don't have a, a guest. So I'm not like good like Jackie O Carly. You're not on for anybody. <laughs> I'm like. Right. Yeah. You're you're a little bit I don't know why I said Jackie O. I don't know. She's like poised. She is. She's poised. Yeah. You're you weren't uh you could have gone with like Princess Diana or something. Yeah. But part of her appeal and charm, I feel like, is that she brushed against right. the grain of the establishment and of the uh the monarchy. Yeah. As she it wasn't like a upper east coast like like transatlantic like Catherine Hepburn yeah like voice which is what I sort of imagine Jackie <laughs> O sounding like probably speaking of Diana I saw a photo of her this past week where she's in like a black mesh baseball cap yeah and a pair of what look like like big like squash goggles almost or something that I've never seen of her before and oh my god like where have you been like i've never seen that photo (laughs) other people princess diana in sportswear is like i mean yes obviously but i had never seen like you know the the albums upon albums worth of like her in her sportswear in her like sweatshirts with like tights and shorts and stuff are classic but i had never seen this particular photograph Mm, okay and so i was um quite moved by it yeah, she's like a fucking smoke show. Just a quick plug for an Instagram account I follow Please. called Lady Die Revenge Looks. <laughs> <laughs> that is very good. Yes, I ha- you have told me about this Instagram account before. So anyways, that's like what goes on when, you know, I'm waiting for the five seconds to introduce myself <laughs> and why I never managed to do it successfully well you know what (laughs) we're here we're into the episode now and this is clarifying this is really helpful to know actually cool um and as you dear listener can guess based on this conversation thus far uh we don't have a guest today it's just the two of us just i won't sing it okay thank you i appreciate (laughs) that uh it is officially the year of our lord 2024 he no he's not mine 
Don't don't give him to me. (laughs) Don't put that on me. I don't want him. Not my lord. Not my lord. (laughs) Very good. Uh, Which lord are we talking about? Anno Domine. I don't know. Okay. Uh, But by any means, 2024 is upon us. We are in the first week of it. Denzember is over. It's a lot of bad stuff happening all at once. Denzember (laughs) is over. It's the first week of 2024. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. It's it is both. It's bittersweet saying goodbye to Denzember because on the one hand, you can't really go wrong with Denzel movies. It was great getting a chance to dive in. There are still plenty of Denzel movies from the 90s that we haven't covered that we will eventually cover. We talked to a bunch of great guests. Uh, But today, I get to be a little looser than I have for a full month now. Yeah, you've been super buttoned up. (laughs) You've like really... No, I'm being serious. You've like totally kept us on the rails and like... You know what? Like have been a really great producer. We've had a, a fantastic series of guests on the show, uh, and they have all required me to bring my A game, yeah, as it were, because they not are... me. I don't. <laughs> you do too. No, <laughs> I don't require we, that. We've had fantastic conversations, and you know some some pretty big movies to discuss over the course of of Denzember. Um, I'm proud of us. I'm proud we got through it. Uh, so in order to take a little bit of a breather, I decided to concoct sort of a, a survey for you, Carly, and for myself, uh, which is to discuss some of the best things that we watched in the year 2023. Because if there's one thing about me, it's that I love lists. That's right. You adore lists. <laughs> I love ranking shit here's the thing in my like regular non like i'm on film twitter conversations life or just like talking about art and media in general i live and die by lists very you, very true there are like four over there on the counter i, right I now. see them all the time you <laughs> they have different symbols on them I, they have different like you know, uses like Look, one list may have some crossover with another. And I there. and I think that this is important to to recognize about you and maybe part of the reason why you are so averse to lists in the art space and in that corner of your existence, which is that uh, the rest of your life is defined by order, by keeping things tidy, by keeping things organized. I have seen you dedicate multiple hours to clearing out an email inbox just to make sure that there is room in it and that you are up to date on all of your emails. I don't do that anymore. I have 37,000 emails in my Gmail inbox. Inbox. That's not an exaggeration. <laughs> I think that that's fine. It's, it's literally for that. It is for clutter. At a certain point, I'm like, okay, so I deleted 100. Like, they, so what? They give you 15 <laughs> gig worth of space, you know, and, and maybe you're butting up against that area where it's like, hey, you're running out of room. Yeah. That's fine. You nuke it all and you start a new account. You're really right about why I hate lists. I know. When it comes to art. I have observed this. Everything else about your life is about the routine, about the order, about keeping things organized and straight. So when it comes to the space where you're liberated from that and get to just talk about art and talk about things that you love, I know that it's difficult for you to produce that order. I'm the exact opposite. You know this about me. Yeah. I'm I'm messy. I am very disorganized. I have tons of incomplete projects and things about the house and in my life and in my work. When it comes to 
this corner though. I like the order and like being able to qualify and quantify to a certain extent. Yeah. Oh my God. I just like fell deeper in love with you. Oh, that's really nice. (laughs) That's like, that was so observant and insightful. I know that you like... (laughs) I'm like literally a gape right now. Well, I know that you like. <laughs> you just read me like <laughs> top to bottom. That's what I'm gonna. That's what I was gonna say. Is you uh, appreciate being seen? Um, yeah, and, I love it. It's so hot. I love it so much. Well, I'm happy to provide. And in that in that very spirit, I went about earlier this week producing some lists for our followers on Twitter.com, which we will share here. Uh, in the show notes for this episode as well. But uh, I produced both an Aaron canon of 90s features, 20 films that I think are descriptive of my tastes overall. Uh, And I also went about doing the same for you on your behalf and producing a Carly canon. Yeah, and it was like so romantic. Well, that's very, very (laughs) nice. I, I also thought of it as a romantic gesture because it was nice to be able to just plumb my own brain and consider what things characteristically you love about movies, what nineties movies speak to you the most, which things have moved you the most, whether we've talked about them on the show or not. Uh, And yeah, it was fun. I consulted you only at the very end. I I think I had gotten to like 15 or 16 entries. And even that was just like pure torture for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, this is terrible. No, but like it, it is romantic, not because I love lists about movies, but because it is that thing that you're saying, which is like, you know, I, I like feeling seen by people and I like when people can articulate something about me that I may not have observed because I like to do that for other people. Mm Um, and so it feels good to be on the receiving end of it. And that's honestly what makes up a lot of what I'm about to talk about on this episode. <laughs> good. Yeah. Because, you know, like we've talked about and as anyone will will know who follows us on on Twitter dot com, uh, we watch a lot of shit. I mean, no, like I don't. I, I watch like, a lot of shit. I definitely don't watch a lot of stuff like people are always recommending things to me and I'm just like very stressed out by it well I make the (laughs) joke sometimes that for somebody who co-hosts a movie podcast you are quite averse to watching movies and I think a big part of it is because they're a huge time commitment they're like I don't have time I know you don't don't. I literally don't have time I I know you don't and it's not how you like to spend your free time whereas if I get a free moment it's where I'm going it's how I unwind it's how I like relax and and get to just like enjoy myself as doing it so i end up watching a bazillion things every year outside of the remit of the podcast yes you're very good at that and so i felt like it would be fun for once to talk about stuff that is not within the scope of the podcast and just make this a a top five as it were a a 2023 year in review but of literally anything that we watched in the past year 2023 how did it go for you carly well i will say that like my tweeting about movies helped me make this list yeah i'm sure i was just like what did i even watch and also you don't use letterbox regularly no i fucking hate it um but i also like 
didn't remember like anything that I cared about about the movies mm, and then right. like I was going back over my tweets and I was like getting like re-emotional about all the movies that I loved and like <laughs> tweeted you know like 30,000 tweets to various people like commenting on the whatever movie like I was talking about right like, because one of your curses is that if somebody replies to you on Twitter you will <laughs> respond back I, to them I can't not I know I know I literally can't not and your tweets are valuable they get people talking and discussing things that they also love about movies your tweets are also uh, the way that you were initially sort of headhunted to write your fabulous piece which I don't think we formally talked about on the show yet in Specchioscuro. We haven't. Uh, So we need to, before we even get into a roundup of films and and other things we've watched or or experienced this year, I do need to just speak with pride for like 30 seconds about how amazing it is that you wrote that piece. It's not, you're not going to, this isn't going to be like you on a pedestal and me just talking at you for any extended period of time. I just need you to know the same way everyone else has told you how incredibly proud I am of you for writing that. It's part of the reason that you were missing and absent from uh, a, a larger portion of the podcast than you have been historically. Um, I referenced it a couple times and alluded to the fact that you were working hard on something and to see that pay off and to see not just our friends, but a lot of people who we admire in the Twitter sphere and in critical and cultural circles talk about it and talk about it, uh, you know, with, with a, a certain admiration and, and appreciation for it was really cool. It was awesome to see like my entire timeline for a few days celebrating you and an achievement and something that I saw you laboring over for like six months. So I, if it would be foolish and it would not be complete this episode without just saying, congratulations, Carly, you're amazing. Your piece is amazing. Already canonized among some of the most vital contemporary criticism about the movies capital t capital m thank you for that i mean i don't know what to say i will just say it would not have happened were it not for um a lovely man il mio amore <laughs> lorenzo baldassari um who appro- approached me in my dms and asked me to write the piece and when i was like lol why do you think I can do this? Which is yeah, literally right. what I asked him. Yeah, I mean, 280 characters is very <laughs> different than the, what was it, like 20,000 words that you wrote I don't know how piece. long it was. It was long. But I literally asked him, like, why do you think I can do this, Lorenzo? When he, like, pitched it to me and he was like, oh, your tweets. And I was like, okay, well, I'm definitely fucked, but sure, you yeah, and, got and, it. And he was right to do so, Lorenzo was, because you are observant you are heartfelt, you have a voice and a unique perspective on all of this bullshit that all of us are talking about all the time that extends well beyond just uh, this sucks or this whips ass, which is so much of quote-unquote criticism on the Twitter sphere. Um, Some of my tweets are that, though, at least in, like, the comments. Like That's fine. I searched, like this movie in in my profile to see like when because if i'm talking like 
you know, emphatically about a film, I will usually write the phrase, this movie. Right. Somewhere in there. And then you say, this whips or something. And then there were like so many times where I was like, this movie fucking rules. (laughs) And then like, that was like all I said. And I was like, okay, well, this isn't, this isn't helping me. You have me curious now what I say, uh, if I ever use just this movie, dot, dot, dot. And so I'm looking it up now. Um, but I think that that's also totally fine, acceptable to anyone out there who does do that pretty regularly. Yeah. That's no shade. Just the reason that you get an opportunity to write, uh, an extended piece of criticism is because you often push beyond that knee jerk sensation, uh, and response of something being great or something being terrible and inquiring as to why you feel that way. Yeah, it that is not a knee-jerk reaction for me, the this whips thing. The other thing right. where I talk like for 40 minutes about it is my knee-jerk reaction. The, very true. <laughs> that is absolutely true. My sister has said uh, that my tweets read like sociology papers of a Cal Berkeley student, which is what I am. That's very true. <laughs> and she is right. Well... It's the reason that uh, you shine in this medium and on this podcast. We're talking about me like uh, way too much right now. I think we should get into the movies. I think we should too. Let's go ahead and do that. I really like attention. And then there's like a saturation point where I'm like, (laughs) no. I'm aware. You know what? Uh, You're right. Enough praise for Carly. Uh, Let's get into the nitty gritty. Let's talk about our individual top fives for the year 2023 i think you should start okay very good uh so i'm going to tell you right away that i cheated a little bit and i think i I warned you in advance about this because as i mentioned i watch a ton of shit outside of the scope of the podcast i watch lots of 90s movies i watch a lot of other movies i take on watch projects i try to see things uh from specific directors specific years specific Studio movements, whatever the hell it is. A studio movement? Well, you know what I mean. Or or a, a uh, sort of cultural movement of film. Got it. Okay. Right. So uh, I did a top five that are more themes than they are individual titles. Yeah. Because you watched like 300 movies this year. I watched something close to 300. I had, I think it was like 280 logged films that's, for 2023. That's 300 movies. That's yeah, basically 300 movies. Um, I'm going to start though with just a couple quick little capsule reviews of some honorable mentions. Great. Uh, because I'm not going to talk too much about a ton of 2023 titles. There are a few in here that I think are worth talking about, but lots of stuff through the ages that I saw um, that really moved me and really uh, just got their hooks into uh, Aaron and became major Aaron core. Uh, just two films that I think uh, are not going to get necessarily as much attention as and do as I think that they should this year that I think are two of the best from 2023. One of which is uh, Albert Serra's Pacifiction. Uh, My very first Albert Serra. I know many people who have seen quite a few of his movies and I have heard them described as uh, modern art pieces made visual and put into a cinematic running time, i.e. pretty slow cinema, but also very evocative, very beautiful to look at. Uh, This one I've been told is the one that has the most narrative drive of anything he's ever done. 
which is astounding because it's almost three hours long and very little happens. Hmm. It is ostensibly a political thriller, uh, but that is kept very much uh, sort of at bay. It's more of a mood piece. It's a very kind of like impressionistic, very gorgeous uh, kind of film that takes place in Tahiti. So you get a bunch of like beautiful tropical vistas and settings. There's a, an extended sequence that takes place like literally out on the waves during a surfing competition that I honestly do not know how they shot. It's beautiful. I could have spent another hour just there watching people surf in the waves and watching the the skidoos kind of follow them along and, and trek around and on this beautiful blue water. Um, so I think it's fantastic. Highly recommend it. I really can't describe it more than that because I could go on and, and just give you a, a, a beat by beat, but the plot, like I said, is really kind of secondary to the sensorial experience of the film. So Passive Fiction, go check it out. It is beautiful, beautiful boredom. The other film in my honorable mentions is a film by a newer filmmaker named Davy Chow called Return to Soul, which is a French-Korean film. And it is terrific. It's about a, a young woman who is very sort of like ironically detached, very despondent, who grew up uh, with a French family. She was adopted from Korea. And the film touches very gently on conversations about imperial colonialism and the architecture of that over the course of generations and why she as a Korean baby wound up being raised in Paris. Um, but that too is also not the core text of the film. It's a story of belonging. It is a multi-year, like year-spanning story of this one woman's pursuit of meaning and belonging and sense of self as she's sort of being metaphorically pulled in two different directions by two different countries and identities. Uh, and I think it's really beautiful. It's very sad in parts. It's very moving. It's great to look at. Uh, and I think that it offers a lot of promise for that director, Davy Chow. I'm very, very excited to see uh, what he does next. And the lead in it is a a visual artist who's a first-time actor named Park Ji Min. She does phenomenal work. Uh, worth seeing. Return to Seoul. Highly recommend. I'm going to do this popcorn style. And Carly, I want to go to you now to talk a little bit about one of your honorable mentions. But that's not... That's not what you said. What we agreed okay. on. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So I broke up my honorable mentions into two camps and I have quite a few of them, which is why I'm feeling stymied because um, I wasn't preparing to talk about them at the outset of this conversation. Okay. But I will uh, just see if I can do this quickly. Um, and with not a whole lot of language, which as you can tell is something that is challenging it's, for me. It's challenging for both of us. I realize I went pretty long on my two honorable no, mentions as well. No, you're fine. Um, okay. So my honorable mentions were, um, I split into two camps. One is, uh, new to me, mm -hmm. but like not necessarily new. Yep. And then 
One is uh, honorable mentions of just movies I rewatched that I'd seen before that fucking rule. Yeah. And uh, that I watched again this year. (laughs) Um, So the new to me movies that I saw in 2023 that I think are worth mentioning but did not make my top five are as follows. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Incredible movie. This movie... Knocked me on my ass. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Um, I was very excited to get to introduce you to Rope for the first time this year. Philip in the movie mm-hmm. is like so messy. Yes. Farley Granger. <laughs> and like. Fantastic. Uh, he is like the MVP of that film. <laughs> he's, like He's wonderful. I mean, along with Jimmy Stewart, but like he's so good in that movie. He's just like twitchy and like manic and also like so melodramatic oh, and so like, melodramatic um but also like kind of the beating heart of the the film i don't know like i really loved rope um and it's just like in a room with like some fucked up white people and <laughs> uh and it's great um another film worth mentioning is may december I fucking love Todd Haynes. Incredible. I love him so much. Fantastic. He's film. one of my guys. It's Verhoeven, Schrader, Haynes, and Cronenberg. Cronenberg. That was one of like four that I could have named there, but <laughs> Cronenberg is definitely one. Those are my four. And then Briot. Um, yeah. Like this movie's so good. That's all. Like incredible. People are so weird about it. Like it's, it's amazing. It's a, a movie designed to be talked about in all of the most obnoxious ways possible but also the people i think who meet it at its wavelength uh have wonderful things to say about it i loved it i thought it was just fantastic i want to briefly like mention not like mention i want to briefly mention (laughs) a friend of the show comrade yui who um is like one of the most like spectacular people ever and like so brilliant um Comrade Yui sent me a DM um, like out of the blue about um, something that they had been thinking about with regards to like films sort of already being these like self-contained artifacts that don't require you to like critique them or like do any like critical thinking on your own because they're already anticipating like metatextual remarks you might be making or thinking about the film and I'm like bastardizing their argument but like they sent me this like beautiful like several message DM about like this thing that they had been thinking about movies and I was like very stirred by it and it made me think about Mark Fisher um referencing uh Fowler's concept of interpassivity right where like you go to you know consume some product and it does all of its like revolutionary work for you and right, right. you get to absolve yourself in the, the, the act consumption, consumption is the act is the political act at that point and yui was talking about like films that take that a step further and actually like do the like critical thinking piece of it for you too so it's not even like you have to engage right and think the revolutionary thought while you're consuming the thing like it does that for you it begs the question and answers it by the end of the runtime yes and it made me think about Todd Haynes and how his work is like vehemently not that yes it is very much designed to like 
require you, you know, to like require you be engaged with it and require you like feel something and like it's antagonistic sometimes and sometimes it's like romantic and it's all of these things and it just made me appreciate him this conversation that I had with Conrad Yui it made me appreciate Todd Haynes even more than I already did which is a great deal and May December is one of those films that like requires you and like necessitates that you actually engage with it and be uncomfortable and like also like engage with the fact that like it is you know formally a challenging and very imaginative film right doesn't look and feel like everything else out there okay and then the last thing is 13 lives which like holy fucking shit (laughs) that movie's stunning ron howard okay i'm listening but now i'm not anymore like (laughs) incredible film loved it fantastic movie um yeah just absolutely blew me away um i you know we like ron howard probably more than most on this show uh but I, i didn't think he had that in him nor did i uh so what a shock what a treat it was to behold incredible performances across the board gorgeous like the the very definition of like understated performances from vigo and colin farrell and joel edgerton in that movie just well all the like overstatement is happening in the fucking cinematography and and in the like execution of these shots absolutely and i mean shout out to director of photography uh soyambu mukdipram who is a regular collaborator of uh our friend joe apichatpong we are set the cool uh and just so happens to be the person lensing uh, the new M. Night Shyamalan movie that is uh, about to start production. You mentioned that. That's very fucking cool. Which is a fantastic segue to my number five on my top five. Oh, God. Did you rank the fuck? Okay. It's okay. I just, I I, I (laughs) put put them in in a descending order based on nothing in particular. Just on, on, in in my themes. Great. So uh, my number five theme is powerful visions of the apocalypse. Mm. And uh, I need to start this with a brief anecdote and uh, conversation about a different movie that is the furthest thing from uh, a top watch of this past year. And that is the most recent, uh, or and that is the very recent Sam Esmail Netflix movie, Leave the World Behind, that is produced by the Obamas. Uh, it is a... I love the phrase. It's produced by the Obama. I mean, it it, it makes me mad just thinking about it. Thing to a, say. a cursed thing to say. Uh, but I mean, I have so much to say about it. That could be its very own episode. I hope some people take an opportunity to like critically examine it from a left perspective because the amount of just Obama-ology that is laundered into it and that he admitted to laundering into it, that he was making conscious and consistent uh edits and suggestions to sam esmail during the script writing process and the production uh it is a movie that is about the end of the world and the destabilization of really like neoliberal capitalism more than anything else and it seeks to blame all of us equally you know obama had that uh 
that uh, conversation recently about what's going on in in uh, Israel and Palestine right now and and the Israel Hamas war and said yeah, something I super want to hear from him said something very stupid along the lines of we're all complicit to a certain extent mm-hmm. which of course is bullshit you're the former leader of the free world quote unquote like you are more complicit than most in how this has shaped and what it looks like in 2023 uh by any means the movie takes the same angle on the current state of things and basically posits that we are all to blame for bad ideas and bad ideology and that like because we're such a divided nation we're easy to destroy from the inside out. Yeah, it's the liberal like fetishization of like politeness and moral order, mm-hmm. right? And like when those things like fall apart, then that's why society's fucked. Right. Not, you know, capitalism and the one percent of people that own everything. Precisely. Uh it's it's a terrible movie. Uh I will link in the show description uh, a review written by Friend of the show, uh, one of our our beloved, uh, very good friends on the internet and in the Hit Factory Discord, Benzo Stray Dogs. Uh, I don't know if she's totally comfortable with me using her real name, so I'll just call her that uh, on the show, but wrote an incredible review of that film that articulates literally everything that I I take umbrage with about it. Um, It's a terrible, terrible movie and an ugly vision of what the end of the world looks like that blames everybody and just doesn't have an answer. Alternatively, two of my top films of the year present a way forward and through the fear of that apocalypse and that sort of imminent doom that is couched in everything we consider and think about these days. One of those films is the aforementioned M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin, uh, which was the first movie of the year that I saw that was like, this is my favorite thing I've seen so far. It will be hard for things to knock this down. A few things did, but I still think it's brilliant. I think the performances across the board are excellent. Dave Batista, especially, is just like phenomenal in it and really kind of muted and and has a lot of pain that he's carrying throughout his performance. Um, But I just think it's a beautiful movie. And like all of Shyamalan's other films, his, his sort of great theme of our fear of our inability to protect the ones we love uh, reshapes and reconforms itself into a sort of answer to that question. That is uh, the only way forward is love and a willingness to sacrifice for the people that we care most about regardless of the context, regardless of ideas of worthiness or whether or not, you know, this world has proven itself valuable. It's it's just a, a really lovely, beautiful sentiment at the heart of that movie. Um, can't recommend it enough. The other one that goes along with this uh, is a Chinese blockbuster uh, from director Frank Guo, The Wandering Earth 2. It is a quasi-sequel, actually prequel and retconning of his 2019 film. I believe it's 2019, The Wandering Earth. And it is my favorite blockbuster of the year. People who follow me on Twitter have seen me talk about it a lot. It is simultaneously alongside Knock at the Cabin, a grand sort of like ode to the notion of love and a faith in humanity being the thing that will allow our species to persevere through the darkness and onto the other side and is also unlike anything being made 
in the United States. Also a fantastic story uh, that suggests an idea of international, global, bureaucratic cooperation around a single unified goal of saving humanity. Um, so, I mean, say what you will about, you know, the sort of like state propaganda of it all. I will take that sort of utopian optimistic vision of the future over a thousand of these fucking leave the world behind Obama uh, apocalypse movies. Uh, so that's my number five. That's real good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got to follow that. Okay. Um, I can do that. Um, okay. So like asking me to pick five already sucks. I know. I did not even think to rank them because why the fuck would I do you, that? You could put them in alphabetical order. It does not matter. We're just, okay. we're just counting them down. I'm just going to talk about the first one that I wrote on my page. Sounds great. Um, and that is Catherine Briot's 1999 film Romance, yep. which is a masterpiece. I knew you would put this one on your list. Um, because of how much you loved this fucking movie. I mean, I just have to thank Justine Perez-Smith for bringing me this film because, like, uh, it's, it is one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's, like, impossible to find. Fucking Tubi had it. I think Tubi still has it, they by still the way. They still do. Uh, if you want to watch it. Shout out to Tubi. Um... And getting to talk about it with Justine was such a treat. It made me appreciate the film so much more than I already did, which is why I love doing our show. Um, Briot's project is one that explores in all of her films female desire and female sexuality and like the expression and confines of it. Um and how it's related to structures of power and people and relationships. And this film is all of that. But what struck me about this film is that like I was watching it and the protagonist, Marie, her story is not mine mm -hmm. necessarily. Like there are some things that are similar, but I felt like Briot made a movie about me and my desires and the things that I grapple with when it comes to my sexual self-expression. Yeah. And um just like connected with me deeply. Um and you know, she makes this film that is also at the same time somehow like universally feminine. And about the complications and brutality of desire and intim intimacy or lack thereof. Um, and she manages to, in doing all of this, never wag her finger at any of it. Yeah. Instead, she makes this hallowed space for female desire and female sexuality. And like, just like... It's breathtaking. And, you know, the thing that I said after watching it was Briot is saying the pursuit of pleasure for pleasure's sake, untied to capital or its production, is a noble act, mm. not a denigration. Right. And what an incredible thing to assert with a film. Um, and she does so, you know, vehemently in the character of Marie 
and in doing so asserts the inherent good nay the transcendence of female sexuality and its expression yeah like fucking shoot me in the face like (laughs) what are you kidding me like it's just gorgeous and the way she uses color is so potent she has this world that marie lives in with this beautiful man who cannot be intimate and cannot like fuck her to save her life and will not fuck her to save her life Mm -hmm. it's beige and it's white and everything is like sterile and clinical and just yeah just like completely sterile um like their love life And when she ventures into these spaces, Marie, where she is exploring the corners of her desire, exploring these like sort of dark, untapped feelings that she has, she is awash in maroon and velvet and dark wood and black and crimson. And it's just stunning. Mm -hmm. And there's this one scene when she comes home in a red dress after cheating on this man who won't fuck her. And she penetrates this white space with this gorgeous crimson dress that she's wearing. And he feels violated by it. Right. And you feel violated, but you are also exhilarated by the fact that she is violating this man. It's a beautiful film. Yeah. I cannot recommend it enough. It's terrific. Uh, like we said, it it should still be on Tubi. I really loved that conversation. And what I love so much about watching that is, I think, recognizing as I was watching it, how uncomfortable I was being made by it and realizing that my discomfort didn't really stem from anything I was seeing on screen. Like it, it none of it is anything, I think, too radical compared to, you know, any other films that that have you know sexuality or or some sort of provocation in them but i recognize i think very quickly that unlike so often when i'm watching a movie and especially movies of the decade nothing i was seeing was like for me you know like it's it's very much created by and created for a feminine perspective and a radical feminine perspective at that and it's something you're not used to seeing in cinema, it just doesn't happen very often. She's a, a genuinely radical filmmaker, um, and it's it's really fucking cool to watch. I I really really liked it. I'm excited more to watch more. Dudes should watch Catherine Briot. I agree. And uh, spoiler alert: we will be talking about a, a few more of her films uh, in a different context, away from the show uh, later on uh, next month. So Truly can't wait. Yeah, stay tuned. Um, moving on. I've got number four on my list. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, This one is an easier guiding premise, which is just the films of director Alan Rudolph. Yeah. How did I know this was (laughs) going to be one of your categories? Uh, Because you know that uh, I I discovered Alan Rudolph uh, this year uh, for the very first time. 
not the easiest thing in the world to do. His films are very difficult to come by. Like it, it, it's a great shame uh, that there aren't more of them readily available. Literally like none of them are available on streaming. I think even as we're recording this, uh, remember my name, his, his feature from uh, the late seventies with Geraldine Chaplin has been stripped from Tubi. Um, it might be available on, on prime or somewhere else at the moment, but really hard to find. Uh, and, the first time I put them on and I started with remember my name, one of his, his earliest features, I was so taken aback and so blown away by what I was seeing. I, I like asked this question and, and I continue to ask it like, why aren't we talking about this guy all the time? Part of that of course is the material reality that we exist in that these movies aren't as easy to see in, uh, in the streaming environment of 2023, 2024, um, as other things are, but uh, I think he's brilliant. Uh, he started on, under the tutelage of Robert Altman, and so brings much of Altman's sort of like very lived-in, very sort of like muted, naturalistic style to his proceedings. But as he goes on in his career, he also lets classic Hollywood bleed in, and uh, I think it becomes really apparent the most in his films like Choose Me and one called Trouble in Mind from the early '80s that are basically like if Altman let uh, like a, a studio musical or studio romantic comedy, screwball comedies come into his features. And it's such a strange, fascinating amalgamation of different genres and different tones. Uh, and it's unlike anything I've, I've ever seen before. Um, I, I think he's wholly singular. If you're a fan at all of like, I mean, really any of the new Hollywood guys, like R- Rudolph is also your guy. Seek him out, find him. Uh, I think more and more of his stuff is becoming available every single day. Um, and if you email me at hitfactorypod at gmail.com, I can point you in the right direction of a couple of his movies, uh, as we did uh, when we covered him on the show. Uh, talked with our good friend Jason Miller about Equinox, his 1992 film, starring not one, but two Matthew Modines. Um, so check out that episode. We'll link it in the show description and uh, reach out if you have any interest in finding out what this Alan Rudolph guy is all about. Great pick. Thank you. What you got for me? The next one I have is a little movie called Speed Racer. <laughs> yes. All right. I'm glad, I'm glad one of us picked this. Our blessed Wachowskis. Uh, where do I even begin? I think we are so lucky to be living in a time when the Wachowskis are making or have made films. Like, I agree. Truly. Yeah, 100%. Truly. This movie just like it's magical. I will say that. It is a film that evokes that feeling of wonder that you have watching cartoons as a kid where you just suspend all disbelief, all of the disbelief that is default when you are an adult. Mm-hmm. And that like predisposition towards wonder and towards just like being swept up by something and believing in like the impossible happening that is default for children but gets beaten out of us as adults this film evoked that feeling for me and I was just like very emotional about it yeah. big surprise um <laughs> carly crying at a movie i mean yeah the film manages to create 
its own like entirely new, wholly thought of visual and psychic language that you are literate in pretty quickly when you're watching the film. Not not an overstatement to say that it invents its own language. Like that opening sequence of the film is so brilliant because it is simultaneously a scene setter, a flashback, and an instruction manual for how to watch the movie. It is teaching you how to watch the film. And it's also teaching you about the world that you are going to be immersed in. And at the same time, while making you very literate in this entirely new visual and psychic language that it is making it is also like leaving enough open that even for the stuff you aren't literate in you're still like fully locked into it you are like not second guessing any of it um and it's just like a feat to be able to do that i Mm -hmm. mean what things do that in our life right very few it's it's a maximalist masterpiece there's like a point in the film toward the end when a lot of fucking shit has happened and speed racer listens to his car (laughs) and then he kicks the car into fifth gear and i am not exaggerating when i tell you that i openly sobbed at this moment (laughs) wept like just wept when this when this happened and I mean like when I ask the question like what does this for us anymore like really what does this for us anymore it's it's a pure cinematic experience it's a thing that can only exist in this medium and is complete but it is also bigger than the actual art the artifact itself because it expands beyond the medium into our bodies but then it also expands beyond that because it expands our psychic space and that cannot be measured like it's doing it's doing stuff that cannot be quantified and it's like it is at once this like wholly contained beautiful thing that the Wachowskis made and at the same time it's like infinite like I don't I don't know how else to describe it um I will close by saying that this thing that they're doing that I am trying my best to describe is we're going to say this phrase a lot radical act but what the fuck ever it's it is a radical act of imagination to make something completely new that still somehow pays beautiful homage to the source material and it does Mm -hmm. but like this idea of the new that is like something that throws us into a state of irresolution with our current capitalist circumstances. That's what they made with this thing. Mm -hmm. And like that it puts us in a position where we can imagine something that goes radically beyond the confines of our current capitalist circumstances. That puts us in a place where we have, you know, revolutionary potential. And it's why, you know, people like Fisher, who I talk about a lot, focus on artifacts of of culture as still being like potentially powerful tools for revolution. And I think the Wachowskis are one of our best examples of of this, of the power of like culture 
in a left project that is anti-capitalist and and is also teaching us how to think beyond capitalism. I've talked about the Wachowskis and various forms of their art in in that capacity before, but Speed Racer I think is like maybe perhaps the most sort of pristine like example of this. Mm-hmm. And it just um it's just a marvel. Co-signed. 100% agree. I love it. Um and yeah, I, I, I as you're describing it right now, I'm I'm reflecting on it, remembering it and like I, we need to watch that again immediately. Immediately. It's so infinitely watchable. It is. It's beautiful. Like watching that on the biggest screen you can find is just like one of the coolest things. Um absolutely adore it. Uh, moving on to my number three, I've got uh, a, a very quick one here. This one's pretty sort of cut and dry and a little dusty, pun intended. Uh-oh. Uh, this one is just a, a whole bunch of bomb-ass Golden Age Westerns that I watched. <laughs> yes, I, you, you did there, have a pretty aggressive Golden Age Western period there, this year. <laughs> there was a chunk of time where like, I cracked open a LaCroix at 10 in the evening and I threw on an odor and that was my night um but there were a bunch that i hadn't seen um and and still tons that i have not but uh, i checked off quite a few blind spots that were like pretty pretty there pretty apparent um a whole bunch of john ford movies uh i watched uh, my darling clementine for the first time beautiful incredible movie one of my favorite uh fonda performances finally watched the searchers Technicolor Vista's John Wayne being incredible in that. Um, A movie that I feel like gets a lot of uh, sort of contrarian takes now as something that is like dated and, you know, like a little bit quote unquote problematic by today's standards. Color me surprised that that notion of its own datedness and of sort of the irreconcilability of the Old West with modernity is the text of the movie that is what it is about that there are men who cannot move on and become a part of civilization because they have been so damaged by the cruelty of the west incredible film I recommend it if you have not seen it uh, I, I would be surprised if many of you haven't it's, it's one of those like you know classics that winds up on like the 100 best films of all time list um, but if you haven't seen it for whatever reason watch it and another one that i really love uh, undersung, less talked about, Wagon Master, which low-key, kind of communist. Kind of communist. Uh, that's all I'll say about it. I'll tease you with that. Beautiful black and white Ford Western. Go check it out. Pretty easy to find. Very short, like 75 minutes long. On top of that, a bunch of the Ranown Westerns, the Randolph Scott and Bud Bedecker Westerns. Uh, I watched Decision at Sundown, The Tall T. And my personal favorite, Seven Men From Now. Naturally, that is the one that is not included in the Ranown Western uh, Criterion release that came out this last year. But it is available, I think, also on Tubi and and the like. So hunt it down. Highly recommend it. Uh, And then a couple other ones really quickly here as well. Howard Hawks' Rio Bravo uh, with Dean Martin and Wayne. uh, Just unbelievable beautiful rich hangout movie 
one of the best westerns you can ever see when when they do their little song in that it's pure fucking cinema dean singing in that movie is like it's i don't know it's like taking a bath in milk or something yeah so good when we get done with this i'm probably just going to go and watch that one scene of them singing together in in the kind of safe house and and it's uh, a thing to behold uh, and then another one that really surprised me that I love, my last of these dusty old uh, Golden Age Westerns, is William A. Wellman's The Oxbow Incident. Um, brilliant black and white Western, also starring Fonda. Uh, and man, is that a sort of morally complicated and thorny film. It is uh, it is brutal. And it's also one of the briefest ones on the list. Like I think it runs like just like a, a hair over an hour. And in that hour, they managed to put so much gravitas on screen. Um, you will be changed by the end of it. It is well worth your time. Seek it out if you've not seen the Oxbow incident. Um, doesn't get talked about as often as some of those other ones, but uh, really just brilliant fucking filmmaking top to bottom. That one was so good that it stopped me when I was blowing through the living room. Yeah, I remember. As I often do when you're watching films. Right. You're you're moving from the bedroom to the office to do something. I'm walking around. I'm like But you laundry. you wound up watching that one with me. I watched <laughs> I, it stopped me and I watched like the last 30 minutes of that film because I was like so caught up in what I saw mm-hmm. and then like couldn't take my eyes off of it. Yeah. It's uh just it's, watched it standing. <laughs> as one does you you were not far off from doing the dad pose where you just put your hands on your hips and sit and watch in the corner i think i probably did that probably did um i i would now if i saw that movie come on in in a room i would i would be dad posing um yeah brilliant movie check it out all right carly's number three uh look it's ai (laughs) it's steven spielberg's 2001 uh masterpiece i will say it AI. Yeah. Um. Man, did I get a lot of heat for saying this was his best film? Which, which is nuts because you were not the first person I have ever seen call this his best film. Like this was one of the times where like people were actually being mean to me about it, <laughs> and I was like, "Uh, look, I love this movie, and my dad just died, and uh... and you have to be nice to me and understand why this means something to me." Yeah. Like, I mean, I think I would be moved by this film had I not watched it two months after my father died, but I did watch it two months after my father died and I was able to see it in a way that I don't think I would have otherwise. Yeah. Um, And it's why when it was over, I was like, this is Steven Spielberg's best movie. Um, And I, the man has a big old bushel of masterpieces. Like I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so there are any number of like films that could, you know, fall under that moniker. But for me, it's this movie. It's just breathtaking. I I think like the sort of like beautiful alchemy of like Steven Spielberg and all of the things that he is good at as a filmmaker. Say, for example, childhood wonder, adventure, fantasy, thrills the like, um, and Stanley Kubrick's insistence on a really dark, sinister underbelly to humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, That just like worked 
beautifully in this film. And as I understand it, a lot of some of the darker elements, Steven Spielberg actually incorporated himself. Yeah. Um, I think people give Kubrick a lot of credit for that film, but he was also someone who was pretty insistent that it was Spielberg's story to tell rather than his. Yeah. Yeah. And he was right to insist that. A couple things to note. Uh, I think this is Steven Spielberg's most harrowing picture. Mm -hmm. Like just full stop. And he did a Holocaust movie. And he did a fucking Holocaust movie. (laughs) Um, Jude Law is fucking stunning. One of his best performances. In this movie. Yeah. He is stunning. He is visually stunning and he is a perfect, perfect specimen of acting in yeah. this film. Between like, this and, and Ripley, I think, just like two of his best performances within a couple of years of each other. I mean, fucking Existence, Gattaca, the guy was like, uh, he's he's just, he's incredible. This movie is like the thing that made me be like, oh yeah, like he's like, a, he's like God tier. Yeah, this film just like totally swept me away. The flesh fair, I won't say anything else, but like, the world building Kills in this me. movie yeah. is just like, it's not only like fully fleshed out, pun intended, but it's also like every detail has a political edge to it, mm-hmm. has an emotional edge to it. There's so much work being done in the details of this film um, that like, it's hard to believe it exists sometimes. And Haley Joel Osment, I mean, like, yeah. he's just like, oh, my God, yeah. he's incredible I mean, in this movie. You know, as an adult, we've seen him perform a little bit and he sort of had to, you know, kind of adopt a sort of self-parody position of himself and his former kind of stardom. But you watch this, you watch like The Sixth Sense and you're just like, oh, you know, compared to every other child actor out there, like you are so special. You're doing something so profound. Uh, it just a, a really special talent. Um, those elements of like fantasy and adventure and like those all being told from the perspective of a child um, and a child who is even more naive because he is a robot that like deafness that Spielberg has with with that perspective just is in beautiful, dramatic, stark relief in this film. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a fucking film about grief, but it is not like overtly about grief, but it is about loss. And I think that's why it struck me the way that it did, because. I was able to see that watching it and I, I felt it watching it. Um, needless to say, you know, sobbing like a fucking maniac at the end of the film. Um, and people don't like this movie and I'm just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I mean, people who don't like the movie are insane. I can understand an argument for any number of other Spielberg movies as maybe superior to this, if this doesn't resonate with people, but for people to say that it's not good, uh, no, there or, were people being like, it's his worst. And then there were people also being like, it's also Kubrick's worst. And I was just like, that's not get the fuck away from me. <laughs> like, what? I mean, that movie was, I, I, I think, very sort of like 
disregarded and I think like uh, not recognized with, I, I think it's due kind of adulation when it came out no, in 2001. No, it wasn't. I, I have read contemporary reviews And of people it. did not understand it. They did not understand it. They did not care for it at all. And I think it's brilliant. It is a masterpiece. Beautiful movie. Beautiful pick. All right, home stretch here. Uh, getting to our top picks or our whatever picks, our last picks. Uh, number two from me, and you will probably be able to guess this one too, Carly. Uh, I put down the films of director Joseph Losey. Uh, a more recent situation. Well, I watched a few of his works uh, earlier in the year. And this I can't is keep track. I know. And well, this is also a watch project that has has yes. Uh, I, I kind of cheated because some of these followed into the first uh, couple days of the new year, but I, I felt like speaking about them collectively was important. Oh yeah, I didn't mean to put you on blast. I was just saying like that name is one I heard like this week. Yes, so. you have you have heard <laughs> that name uh, this week. Uh, but uh, Joseph Losey. Uh, American filmmaker, if uh, you could believe it. And I didn't when I first found out because many of his films are so distinctly British. Uh, but uh, studied under Bertolt Brecht for uh, a little while. Um, found his way onto many a list uh, with the uh, House Un-American Activities Committee, uh, HUAC. So was blacklisted as a communist sympathizer uh, and was basically went into exile in uh, the UK and there began to make a series of films. He made a like hammer horror picture early in his career there, um, but really found his stride with a trilogy of films in collaboration with the playwright and screenwriter Harold Pinter, starting in 1963 with The Servant, with uh, Dirk Bogard, who he'd reunite with again in the late 60s, 1967, for another film called Accident with Stanley Baker in that one as well. Uh, and then another film with Julie Christie in 1971 called The Go-Between. Fittingly, one that uh, features a musical score that uh, was lifted in full <laughs> for Todd Haynes' May December just this year. So if you are to turn on uh, The Go-Between uh, sometime in the near future here, you will immediately recognize uh, that Michelle Legrand score in it. Um, it is it is beat for beat, note for note. Uh, by any means, three wonderful films all about sort of the prisons of masculinity, the prisons of British politesse, uh, of like class antagonisms, just wonderful movies. Uh, the Servant specifically has like some of the most gorgeous black and white cinematography I've ever seen. Uh, but I do need to call out one other film of his from 1976 called Monsieur Klein, a.k.a. Mr. Klein, starring uh, the great Alan Delon, which I think in a conversation earlier this week, Carly, uh, I mentioned, I think is flat out my favorite film I watched in 2023. Uh, in short... It is about an art dealer in Nazi-occupied Paris during the war, uh, collaborationist Vichy France, who is mistaken for a Jewish man who has his same name. 
And what unfolds afterward is both a fantastic, brilliant, windy, sort of Kafka-esque uh, political thriller about identity and also one of the most exacting and brutal evocations of fascism I've ever seen on screen. Uh, I think you saw me uh, in the aftermath, in the wake of this movie. I watched it through its credits. I watched it fade to black. And then I just stared at a black screen for 15 minutes afterward. I was so moved. I was so shaken by all of it. Um, it is, it's breathtaking cinema. Uh, it really just like w one of the the best things I've I've ever seen. I know that may sound uh, hyperbolic, but I I think I, I wrote as much on a letterboxed review and said like with without hyperbole, one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, if you have not seen it, Criterion put out uh, an edition of it. I think just last year or even earlier this year. Seek it out. It's not hard to find right now. Um, you will be glad you did. But save it for a night when you don't have anything else going on because it it will it will hit you hard. Uh, by any means, Joseph Losey, incredibly rewarding filmmaker. I'm now like seeking out his deep cuts, a bunch of stuff that's only available on like British Blu-ray and stuff like that. Um, so I'll be annoying about him into the new year. Anticipate it. Well, I'm really excited to follow this up with my next book. <laughs> <laughs> Which is plain. Um, no, it's a, a, it could have been plain. Uh, it could have. Look. I cried at the end of playing. Because <laughs> it's like, like fatherhood and like whatever. No, okay. I get it. I get um, it. So, uh, no, my next, <laughs> I'm really, no, it's fitting that I talk about this movie after the things you just said. It, it feels right. <laughs> um, my next pick is a movie called color of night. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> by Richard Rush um uh directed by Richard Rush uh it's a 1994 um Bruce Willis and Jane March flick and it is it's not um it's not a Losey movie uh it <laughs> is it's very different than that okay um, I, I need to pause really quickly and just say this is I think maybe the only movie that you watched this year that I also did not see with you. And I have heard it's fucking nuts. And I'm very excited to get to it. This is a movie that I did just have to say, this movie fucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what I said about it. Um, it rules. It fucks uh, literally and figuratively. Um, it just like does not hold back. So it's like, you know, a finger quotes erotic thriller and it certainly is why Carly would you pick an erotic thriller when that's like all you love and like <laughs> this is not a su surprise coming from you but the reason I'm talking about it is because it's not just an erotic thriller it's like I don't want to sit here and talk about this movie with the same level of gravitas that you just spoke about a movie about fascism and Look, like cinema is a spectrum. <laughs> greatness is a spectrum. Like, but like this film is, it's just like very unafraid, uh, which like, I think for what it's worth is like important, right? Like even if, you know, the content itself is not like, politically hefty let's say um 
it's just like very unafraid and it is just like packed it's fucking packed <laughs> with shit yeah man. it's also like the we, we i purchased this on disc for you so that we could watch at some point the director's cut is like two hours and 35 minutes long <laughs> like it is not a short no it's erotic hefty. thriller it's hefty um and like when i say it's packed what i mean is that like it's it's not only filled with like incredible things to look at um it has like these images in the film that are like stunning and just like nuts and colorful and like sexy and scary and like dramatic and melodramatic and um just like expressionist it's just like this movie is just it's it's balls to the wall um I need to give a shout out to a beloved mutual, Stephen B., the second single uh, on Twitter, who recommended this movie to me and said, it's very deep impact crier coded. And I was like, okay, well, I'm in. Uh, and he like, that's an understatement. <laughs> like, it's- I, I included this film on uh, the Carly core, like the Carly Cannon uh, letterbox list because it, it, yes, as soon as you saw it, like, and talked about it. I knew that this was very your shit. This movie is like maybe the most recommended movie to me ever. <laughs> like <laughs> so many people told me to watch it. Um, and I mean, I was hooping and hollering watching this film. Amazing. Like literally hooping and hollering. <laughs> um, all of the actors in the film are just like so in it, which is like a thing you don't see. Like the movie is wild. And the actors are, like, fucking here for it. Yeah. Like, they are not second-guessing it. They are not giving you a chance to second-guess it. They are like, no, 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 this is what we're doing. You're fucking coming with me. The first five minutes of the film, I was fucking sold. Because there's a woman who fillets a loaded gun as she's applying lipstick. <laughs> and then she proceeds to throw herself out of a window in her psychiatrist's office. That's the opening five minutes of the movie. That's Carly Cannon. Um, and I was like, okay. And like, it only gets like more insane from there. But the thing that is so incredible about this movie is the sex. And like, we know I love sex in movies. I wrote a lot of words about it. That's true. But also I talk about it all the time because we are just a dried up husk of a nation. <laughs> um, <laughs> and a culture. And a culture. Um, but the reason the sex is so good in this movie is it is not only outlandish and like pure spectacle at times. It is also like the other thing, which is like there are all the parts about sex that aren't the actual like, you know, like grand ecstatic act of mm -hmm. climax, but are like making out and like showering together or like having a sexy dinner and like there's this scene when they're at they're like in between like you know rounds of sex and they're having dinner she wants to make dinner for bruce willis's character jane march does and they're sitting at a glass table and there's a plate that is sitting in a position that is like covering uh her vagina yeah. and he asks her to move the plate and it's just like shit like that where you're like oh this is so fucking hot <laughs> um and bruce willis like 
is hairy and like has tan lines like it, it's just like a messy it's messy and he's, it's good. he's the kind of sexualized male lead that we have totally ironed out of modern cinema like everyone is just like hairless and fair it's it's the burberry model thing that i talk about all the time where you just like don't have many just like rugged jagged like men in movies very tan much. lines tan lines he has tan lines they would not in a million years allow tan lines and on hair a on his chest body. and receding hairline and normal teeth my god he's so hot the other thing that happens in this movie is like the two of them are making out and then they fall into a pool like on purpose because they're just like oh the make out is just so caught good. up in the ecstasy of it yes and then they have this incredible sex scene shot in the pool where they have like Bruce Willis's dick on screen, so hell yes. But also, like, Jane March, her face is, like, in his crotch, and they're shooting it underwater, and I was like, this is fucking cinema. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so good. There's another scene when they're having sex, and this headboard has, like, a carved wooden face on it yeah. in, like, profile. And there's a shot where Jane March is being fucked from behind, and her face is pressed up against the, the face. face of the headboard and it's fucking art like it's so good <laughs> i mean it sounds awesome it's so don't, don't spoil too much of this movie because it sounds Sorry. fucking amazing um yeah and i discovered in this movie another toothy gal in jane march we love whom them. i love i love a toothy gal i love toothy gal representation as a toothy gal um i think this movie is like very special in like a pretty like stacked decade of erotic thrillers mm -hmm. and it's distinct for me and um i highly recommend it fantastic it's a fucking romp it sounds like a romp we've got it uh i, I think it's very easily available for the most part seek it out uh, i'm excited to watch it we will cover it on the show sometime i can't wait probably this year uh so stay tuned for that one all right, here we go. My final entry in my top five. Oh my god! Uh, I do you want to hazard a guess as to who or what it might be? No, I don't even remember what day it is. Like, yeah, there's no fucking right, yeah, way. Right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, so you will be like, uh, doy. Once I say it, it is uh, the collected works of uh, Brian De Palma. Oh yeah, well, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I. Had not seen all that many De Palma movies. He was a huge kind of like blind spot, just in toto. Uh, I had seen a handful of his films before, um, but not all that many of them. And I think that I, I just wanted to fill in all the blind spots. I wanted to understand this guy and this filmmaker and kind of see what the big deal was about him. And, and I think that it's really rewarding and really kind of vital in appreciating De Palma to see like a, a, a wide breadth of his films. You kind of see the recurring motifs, you see his influences, impulses, and sort of stylistic flourishes evolve over time. So I think that there's maybe like a, a sort of consensus critically around his peak period that runs probably around like 1976 when Carrie comes out maybe 74 with Phantom of the Paradise if you're you know being being cheeky uh, up through like Carlito's way in 1993 and that stretch is the one that people talk about all the time 
I found so much reward in the film's outside of that general kind of window. Um, his early 70s films, High Mom uh, from 71 starring Robert De Niro, which I think is probably his first genuine masterpiece and has a, a scene in it that I won't spoil, but is one of the most unsettling and difficult things I watched all year. Uh, along with uh, another one of his films from the, the following year called Sisters, that has uh, Jennifer Salt in it and uh, the wonderful Margot Kidder, which also fantastic Hitchcock-esque experimental strange uh, sort of like psychosexual thriller. Uh, on the other side of that, Snake Eyes, which we covered on the show uh, this past year with our, our good friend uh, Hard Mike and Taylor Grimes. You should seek that out. I think it's available on the Patreon. Uh, loved it. Incredible Nick Cage performance. Uh, even more so, fell completely head over heels in love with his 2002 film Femme Fatale with Rebecca Romaine and Antonio Banderas, which I think is, after like Carlito's Way and Blowout, maybe my very favorite De Palma movie. Um, but, but the guy, I mean, more hits than misses over the course of his career. Some stuff that I wasn't even necessarily anticipating enjoying, some of his later stuff like Passion with uh, Numi uh, Rapaz and Rachel McAdams ended up totally surprising me. Great late period piece. Um, I could go on forever. I will definitely go on forever at a later date when we cover more De Palma because we've got lots of 90s De Palma to talk about still, uh, including some of the big ones. But uh, he, he was my guy. And I, I you noticed, a lot of people noticed, I joked about it myself, that there was a stretch uh, in time on the show and probably will continue to be stretches on the show in which I will... Uh, repeatedly reference or or make in some sort of uh, gesture toward uh, either Clint Eastwood, one of my guys, or now Mr. Brian De Palma. Uh, so I, I think it was just uh, one of the best things I did this year and an incredible watch project that I got to complete. I really enjoyed, and I'm not being sarcastic, you enjoying the films of Brian De Palma. <laughs> yeah. Truly. Well, I'm glad for that. I mean, they're, they're beautiful movies. He's like, of all of those guys, like I, I don't say this lightly, like he is the best flat out filmmaker of all, the best director of that entire cohort of like new Hollywood guys, even more so than our beloved Marty Scorsese. Um, shout out to Killers of the Flower Moon. I don't think it made either of our lists. Maybe it did. Maybe I'm spoiling. Um, but I think he's a better filmmaker, uh, whereas Scorsese uh, might just be like a better storyteller than mm -hmm. he is. But I think um, that's fair. Yeah, that's my list. Uh, my last pick is not Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay, good. I'm glad I didn't end up spoiling that. It is Mississippi Masala. Hey, because it has to be. Um, I just spoke at length about this film on an episode with our beloved Roxana Haddadi. Mm -hmm. um, that conversation uh, is incredibly important to me. And um, I will not go long because I think you should listen to that episode yeah. and hear Roxana um, talk about this film because it's really important. And she uh, interviewed the director, Mira Nair. Um, it's just gorgeous. It's the thing that I said about it after watching it is 
it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Not just film. Like one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen in my entire life. Mm. And it really is. It's beautiful in every way. It's beautiful visually. It is beautiful narratively. It is beautiful emotionally, mentally, politically. Denzel is in the movie and he's amazing. Um, But I think the standouts are Sarita Chowdhury and Roshan Seth. Yeah, absolutely. Like just breathtaking. And it's their story. Ultimately, the two of them, a generational story of diaspora and belonging and identity and incredible. Yeah, this movie is... um, It's about so much and it is also at its core a love story. Um, But the movie is really ultimately about reconciling elements of your life that you think are one thing um, and like coming to terms with your past in order to like have a future. Mm -hmm. Truly a marvel. I like can't believe it exists. I couldn't agree more. Uh, a, a late period pick, like literally one of the last things we watched in 2023. It's the episode right before this in our feed available to uh, patrons of the show. Like we, I think we're both very, very proud of that conversation. Um, it was with one of our all-time favorite guests, Roxana Haddadi, Um and just an in- incredible, just beautiful movie. Please, please, please listen to it. Please seek that movie out if you haven't seen it. I want to close the loop um, and say that my other camp of honorable mentions yes because we didn't talk about those was movies uh that i rewatched in 2023 that are like just like really fucking great and yeah. i was like yeah these are awesome hit me with um them. and the two that i want to mention are uh cronenberg's crash yep which is a fucking masterpiece one of the very best of the decade it's literally a masterpiece talked about on the show this past year with our good friend uh edward Ongweso jr check another it out. conversation that is very important to me the conversation with edward um and uh a little film called breathless <laughs> not godard's but the jim mcbride 1983 the richard gear three jim mcbride masterpiece known <laughs> as breathless you you're in a small but vocal camp that consider it superior to godard's 1960 film i do i love it i think it's amazing i think what he is doing with godard's film is like so cool and just it's just romance and spectacle and like all the things yep um valerie kaprisky hot as hell in it next to richard Gere, who is always hot as hell oh my like, god and i got to talk about it with our dear friend jesse hawkins yes <laughs> on his program junk filter so happy uh sent you both to horny jail on that on that <laughs> episode times. we'll link it in the show description if you have not listened to it it, it was a, a ton of fun hanging out with jesse and talking about that movie um you two i think both love it significantly more than than i did but i had a great time and i love how much you all love that movie that movie is also very deep impact crier coded. <laughs> it is. It would have been on the Carly Cannon had it come out in the decade we cover. Yes. Wonderful. Those are fantastic picks. 
and that's the end of our lists collectively. We did it. We did it. I think we did a great job. You made a list and it was a really good list. Yeah. It was it was a very Carly list. It was a lot of really wonderful movies. I know you're, from you're all like talking over the about like all of these like international films and these like big ideas well, and I'm like I fucking love Steven Spielberg movies. No, I mean, that's fine though. <laughs> AI is a movie that people freak out about and love and will be the one that people like go apeshit about hearing us talk about on this podcast. It's the one that people will reply, yes, fuck yes, when they're listening along as opposed to me and they're like, Aaron, why the fuck are you talking about Alan Rudolph again? Shut up. No. Uh, by any means, I think we did a good job. Uh, there are, of course so many more movies we watched and haven't talked about on this. Um, we both put out our list of our favorite films of 2023. People are probably asking at the end of this, Aaron, why didn't you mention David Fincher's the killer? Like you do in every other conversation you've had about movies so far this year. Uh, you just answered your own question because I've talked about it at length already. We have an episode on this with our beloved Jake Sirwin from Podcasty for me that you can check out where I talk about why it's my favorite film of the year. It's really good. Uh, I also put out a, a list that I will also link here as well uh, earlier this week. That is my 75 favorite non-2023 releases that I watched this past year in alphabetical order. What the I know. So on top of all this other <laughs> shit that we've talked about today that I've uh, put into these kind of themes. 75. 75. 75 films. Uh, there are 75 movies there that you can check out uh, that range from every decade and as recently as 2022 uh, that you can uh, see there and, and make a mental note of or add to your own letterbox watch list if you want to seek out. I had a great time with all of them. I don't even think I've watched the 75 movies in the last two years um you have because we've done at least a hundred episodes of the show in the last two years so like have i been on all of them no tbd i'll go back and check we'll have an answer for you (laughs) (laughs) by any means so many movies well that's why i i do the legwork and i i made the content for us so it is available to you dear listener uh in the episode description along with a lot of other links um i guess that takes us to the end of this episode thanks for listening we hope you had uh, a, a decent 2023, kind of a shitty year, uh, 2024. Literally like one of the worst years. One of the worst years on record. A great movie year, but one of the worst years on record. Uh, 2024, if uh, you were concerned that uh, it it was going to be even worse, um, you have every right to be concerned about that because it might be. And it's a day longer than 2023 was because it's a leap year. Oh, fuck. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, we get even more Wait, horrors. the last leap year was 2020. Was That's cursed. Yeah. Well, and it was like right before lockdown. They, the, the universe gave us one more day before uh, COVID uh, changed the trajectory of all of our lives for a little while. Uh, and it's still affecting all of us in little and small, little and big ways, rather. Um, but we're not going to dwell on that too much. We're just going to talk about movies on the show uh, and keep bringing you more hit factory content uh in the uh weeks to come we've got some great guests lined up we've got some great movies on tap for you stay tuned for all of that uh and keep supporting the show follow along with us at hit factory pod subscribe to the patreon patreon.com slash hit factory pod five dollars per month gets you bi-weekly bonus content the full hit factory experience access to the discord that is popping the fuck off we're having great conversations in there 
all the time. We're having conversations just like this about our, our new to us favorite movies, spoiler heavy conversations about all the new releases. Uh, you name it. It's going on there. Chats about glass block architecture, <laughs> uh, whatever it might be that day. We were talking about seeing Viggo Mortensen's pee in 4K on a uh, uh, Eastern Promises disc. Oh my God. So uh, it, it, it's all really happening in the Hit Factory Discord. <laughs> and you get access to it subscribing to the show. Being a patron of this show might change your life. It might just change your life. We've said it before about some other stuff, but uh, we've said it about subscribing, but it, it very well might change your life uh i will give a shout out to our overlords linda and jared murray thank you so much for your continued support uh and we will catch you all next week see ya bye I put the new 4G's on the G I tap into the bloody bottoms is underneath Cause all my niggas got it out the streets I keep a hundred racks inside my jeans I remember hitting them all with the whole team Now a nigga can't ask a call cause I'm balling I was waking up getting racks in the morning I was broke, now I'm rich, these niggas salty All this designer on my body got me drip, drip and Straight up by the objects, I'm a big trip if I got up on a lean, I'm a sip sip. I run the wrestle with my queen, like London and Nip. But I got rich on all these niggas, I didn't forget back. I had to go through the struggle, I didn't forget that. I hopped inside of the Maybach and now I can sit back. These bitches know me now, cause I got them big racks. Cause I'm getting money now, I know you heard that. Young nigga on the corner, bitch, I had to serve crack. Uncle fronted me some peas, had to get them birds back. We came up on dirty money, I gave it a bird back. Cut off the brain and I gave my bitch a new goof. Either you running y'all gang or your suit woo. Got a new all in bitch and man that pussy voodoo. And I'm that nigga now. Who knew? I put the new 4G's on the G. I drop into the bloody bottoms is underneath. Cause all my niggas got it out the streets. I keep a hundred racks inside my jeans. I remember hitting them all with a whole team. Now a nigga can't ask a call cause I'm balling. I was waking up getting racks in the morning. I was broke, now I'm rich. These niggas salty. I've been waking up to get the money. Whoa, whoa. Got a bad bitch ass, tatted, whoa, whoa Just venture to my toes, two twins, I'm fucking them both I put in new AP, the water like a boat I was down bad on my dick, what was you niggas at? I know you turned your back on me just to get some wrecks I seen you swerve back, cause I'm in the black back New diamonds on me, fuck a flash, this ain't Snapchat Cause I been getting paid Yellow diamonds on me, look like lemonade Got my baby mama that new Bentayga Tryna get a dojo like a sensei Rose Royce umbrellas when I'm in the rain my, my business. I got brothers that did the time, I ain't kidding. All these rappers just talk about it, I live it. Going up, I ain't got no sky living. Yeah, yeah, I trap into the bloody bottoms is underneath. Cause all my niggas got it out the streets. I keep a hundred racks inside.